Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, we are in a week three of a campaign we started a few weeks ago called For the One. Everybody say For the One. And uh, I've just already heard so many incredible stories from people about things that God is doing, people he's placing on their hearts, those that are coming back into group and coming back into the community. And I love that this isn't just something a creative group of people got together and thought of, but it really was the heart of God for our church in this season. And we're seeing that played out day after day after day as we go through this campaign. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time and uh, you don't know what this is all about, let me catch you up to speed briefly. Uh, A few weeks ago, and I think again last week, I shared a statistic with our church a national statistic that states roughly 35 to 40% of those who were involved in church and loving Jesus and running after God before COVID hit uh, have gone MIA. They're, they're no longer tuning into church, they're not reading the word, they're not praying, they're not connected in godly community. Uh, many of them have kind of abandoned their faith and fallen back into their old lifestyles and their old habits and their old hangups. And they're just really at a distance from, from Jesus right now. And I've said this every week and I'll say it again. I would love to tell you that the statistics for our church are completely different, that we've beaten the odds, but that's just simply not true. In fact, we've run into people even in the last couple of weeks who have never tuned into a sermon for the last uh, five months and haven't been worshiping along with us. And it just saddens me to see people get disconnected, not just from the things of God, but from Jesus himself to just be at a distance when he so desperately wants to be close to his people. Because we know that the heart of God is not that a single person would remain at a distance. We know the heart of Jesus is that his whole family, all of us, brothers and sisters, kids, we'd be back together in the house, that we'd be loving him and a part of community. That is his heart. And hence, this campaign. If, if Jesus is for everyone that is out there, if, if he is chasing down those who are isolated and at a distance, then we want to be a community that is for the one as well. Uh, and that phrase, as I've said every week, it comes from a collection of parables, three in a row in the book of Luke chapter 15, a story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And for the last two weeks, we've been talking about a lost sheep. And we've resolved that analogously, we are both the wandering sheep and the chasing shepherd. If you watched those last two weeks, you know what I'm talking about. If not, go back and you'll know what I'm talking about. But we decided that we could look at that parable from a couple of different angles. That when we were that wandering sheep out there, desperately in need of someone to come and save us, that Jesus chased us down. He sought after us and he saved us. He put us on his shoulders. He didn't wait for us to have enough strength to come to him. He picked us up off the ground and he put us on his shoulders and he brought us back to the house, not just to tolerate us, but to celebrate us, to celebrate the fact that every single one of us has been brought back into his family. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, this is why the father has sent me to the planet to seek and to save those who were lost. But then that same Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples in John chapter 20. And he said, Hey, as the father sent me, now I'm sending you. So not only did Jesus chase us down, but Jesus now places the responsibility on his church, on his people to be those that go out and seek those that have wandered, that rescue those who find themselves at a distance and to celebrate their return. And really that is the heart of this campaign. The heart of this campaign is that Jesus does this. And so we should do this as well. Jesus saved us, and since he saved us and rescued us, his heart for each of us is that we would be compelled by his love and by his spirit to chase down every single wandering son and daughter out there. We, we want to be that kind of community. 
And so we wrapped up the sheep last week. We did the sheep for two weeks. And today we're going to move into the second of these three parables. No longer are we talking about sheep. We're going to talk about some currency today. We're going to talk about a woman who lost a coin. She lost some money. How many ever lost some money before? Every hand is up here. I'm sure you're raising your hand at home as well. Yeah. Uh, Lost it in a bad investment. Lost it in the stock market this week. Holy God, that was a rough week. Uh, Lost money in your pocket somewhere. Maybe you lost it on an ex-girlfriend or spouse or, you know, whatever. Too soon. I don't know. Maybe, but... And we've all, we've all lost some money to, uh, somewhere along the line. Uh, and I, I believe that over the next couple of moments as we go through this sermon, I'm 100% positive that you will learn nothing about getting any of that money back. <laughs> I just felt like you needed that disclaimer, okay? But I think we are gonna learn about what it means to seek and chase down some lost people. So if you got a Bible, get into the book of Luke chapter 15 and we're gonna get this started. Luke 15, now in verse eight. It says this, suppose a woman had 10 silver coins and she lost one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. It's a very short, concise parable, a little bit shorter than the previous one. And at face value, that one seems relatively similar to the previous. And it kind of resolves the same. And you're like, okay, there's not a whole lot of difference. We've just traded in sheep for coins and shepherds for a lady. Uh, but the end is still kind of the same. Like, what's, what's the difference? But these parables and these, these three, this collection, they're kind of like an onion. And every time you get into the next one, it's like another layer that you're peeling back and getting a greater glimpse, hopefully drawing more tears as you do so, as we, as we see the heart of God displayed at an even greater level. Uh, the theologian Spurgeon said this, he said, each one of these parables is needful to the other. I love that line. And when combined, they present us with a far more complete exposition of their doctrine than could have been conveyed by any one of them alone. In other words, they are interdependent. Individually, they're, they're amazing. They paint a great picture, but collectively, they become the masterpiece. They become the artwork that displays the fullest, the full nature of God's heart to seek and save those that are lost. And so while we've talked about some great things for the last couple of weeks, uh, I think we're gonna go even deeper into this concept today. We're gonna hear a little bit more about the heart of God as it pertains to us chasing down some people. And I, I haven't given a title to the previous two sermons, but I am gonna give a title to this one. I feel like I was going through withdrawals. I needed a sermon title in order to, you know, make me feel like myself again. So if you're taking notes, you can write down this title. I'm gonna call it Bride and Go Seek. Bride and Go Seek. Uh, let's pray and we'll get into it. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for this opportunity to gather. Even though it's not in person, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather as a community, to study your word together and lift up your name together. I thank you for what you're doing even now in the midst of this campaign, that it was not a concept that was constructed by human minds, but it was the Holy Spirit compelling our church in this season to run after that which you're running after to see those that are at a distance brought back into your house. And I pray even right now for those that are not watching, those that are not tuning in. I pray that somehow, some way, Holy Spirit, that they would this week feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that they would sense the drawing of the Holy Spirit to come back to the house. We speak to everyone that has wandered, everyone that's at a distance. We need you here in Jesus' name. Come back to to the fold. And for those of us that are listening and are watching, I pray that we'd be compelled today by your spirit to do what you've asked us to do as the same way the Father sent Jesus, send us out from this place to seek those and rescue that are at a distance. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Um, 
I think when I read this story, I feel like I can really resonate with this woman. I feel like I understand her pain. And I don't mean that in, in like some deep spiritual way. I mean, on a very practical level, I understand what this woman is going through because the text tells us that she has lost something of value in her own home. How many of you ever lost something in your house before? It's one of the most frustrating things, right? Like it's one thing to lose property out on the beach somewhere and you're like, oh, it's you know, swept out to the sea or you, know, you lose it out there in public and you're like, well, you know, it, it's, it's never coming back. But when you lose something in your house, you know it's close by, but you just don't know how to get to it. You're like, I know it's here. I just don't remember where I left it or where it went. Yeah, it's frustrating. Anyone have a sock that's waiting for its mate somewhere in your house? Yeah, I, I got a whole lot of single socks in my drawer just waiting for its mate to come back. Uh, my, my wife, Robin, she does the, the laundry in the house, and I don't mean that as a sexist statement, not because she's a woman, but we have the chores divided in our house, and that happens to be one of her chores. I do the dishes. She does the laundry. Uh, thank you. I heard the applause for doing the dishes. That's fine. I don't need it. It's whatever. I'll praise myself. No, <laughs> but uh, she does the laundry, and um, I love her to death, but I, I swear, like, she has it out for my socks. Like I, I am missing so many socks. I have like a drawer full of singles just waiting for their mate to come back home. And I'm convinced that like when we're in an argument together, when she's angry at me, she goes down into the garage and she's steaming and she's about to do laundry and she just balls up my socks and <laughs> throws them all over the garage. And they're just waiting out there in the abyss of my garage to come back home. But you never throw away the lost sock. Why? Because as soon as you throw that one away, its mate will come back home, right? You, it's hap it happens every single time. So you hold on to it in faith and in hope that the other will return. And we've never lost their car keys in your house before. Ever done that? Isn't it always when you are in a rush and you have to get out the door too? It never fails. You're like, oh, I got to get out the door. I'm, I'm running late. And then uh, where's my car key? True story. Um, Robin and I lost a car key for two years in our house. Yeah, you heard that correctly. For two, and I don't mean like we, there was another key. We didn't leave like the car in the garage for two years. Like, well, we'll see what happens. But no, we had another key, but we lost a key for two years. And it wasn't until this last Christmas when she was giving one of her coats away to her aunt, her aunt reached her hand in the pocket and she's like, oh, do you need this? And we're like, there it is. It's a Christmas miracle. You know, the key, the key had returned. Uh, but, but the thing that I lose most frequently in my house is this. I lose my phone constantly in my house. I'll set it down somewhere and completely forget where I set it down. And people are tapping each other right now in the room because this happens to them as well. Yeah, I lose my phone constantly. And this is the worst, especially if you're like me and you leave it on vibrate and, and you know, like you can't hear it. And so you, you hope, you still call it. You hope that like magically somehow when you dropped it, like the switch popped on and the ringer turned on, you're like, okay, I just, everyone be quiet and you just listen. And then you're like, ah, dang it, it's vibrating. You're like, everyone shut up, I gotta hear it vibrate, you know? Just waiting to hear it in another room, but you can never hear it. However, if you are an iPhone user, also known as a Christian, um, <laughs> there's this, thank you. Uh, there's this handy little feature uh, when you are an Apple product user called Find My Phone. And, and, and this might be news to some of you right now, okay? This is probably gonna be the only thing that some people get out of this sermon. I'm gonna turn you into an Apple user right now, David. <laughs> if you lose your phone somewhere in the house and you happen to have another Apple product, an iPad, a, a computer, you can go to your, your other device and hit this little tab that says Find Phone. And as you hit that tab, it will begin to find the very phone that you have lost and it will begin to send out a sonar signal, your phone calling out from the abyss of where it's lost saying, I'm over here.
Come on, that's amazing, is it not? Like, don't you love technology? That's just the greatest, yeah. So that, oh, don't, don't connect it again. Don't connect again, stop, okay. Now, I love that feature. It's an amazing feature. But don't you wish everything in life had one of those on it? Wouldn't it be nice if your sock could call out from behind the dryer? I'm over here, you know? <laughs> or, or your keys could call out from the coat, like, I'm in the pocket. I think this woman would have been really grateful if her coin that was lost in the dust had the ability to say, I'm over here under the couch. She probably didn't have a couch. Um, I'm under the llama. You know, I don't know, whatever. Like, like I'm over here. But they can't. Not everything works like that. Not everything has the ability to call out for help. The sock can't talk. The key can't call. Neither can the coin. Sometimes things find themselves lost, but voiceless. Lost, but incapable of asking for someone to rescue them. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The difference between a lost sheep and a lost coin is that the coin can't call out for help. It's lost, but it's voiceless. It's lost, but it seems like and it feels like there is no help coming because it is choked out. It cannot lift up its voice and say, I am over here. Will you please come and rescue me? And not only is this coin voiceless, but the parable also tells us that it's lost in silence in the dark and in the dust. It says that the woman had to light a lamp and to sweep her house in order to find this lost coin. It's buried there. In fact, the uh, historian William Barclay, he gives us a little picture of what the houses would have looked like back in that time when he says, the Palestinian houses were very dark, for they were lit by one little circular window, not much more than about 18 inches across. The floor was beaten earth with dried reeds and rushes, and to look for a coin on a floor like that was very much like looking for a needle in a haystack. The woman swept the floor in hope that she might just see the coin glint or hear it twinkle as it moved. This coin was buried in the dark, lost. I actually have uh, a coin that is similar to the one mentioned in this parable. Uh, in the Greek, it's called a, a drachma. And I don't know if you can zoom in on that. It's a, it's a very small coin. And for those in the room, uh, you can see this thing is tiny. Uh, it's maybe the size of a dime, probably a lot smaller than a dime. And you could imagine just looking for something like this in a modern home with wood floors, and baseboards, and cleanliness. But as impossible that, as that might seem, consider trying to find this in a Palestinian ancient home with dirt and reeds, and stuff all over the ground. It's the same color, just buried there in the dust. It seems impossible to find. A coin of that size, buried in the dirt, in the dark, without the capacity to call out for help, seems impossible to save. And I wonder how many of us have felt like that coin. I wonder how many of us have felt like we've been buried under the weight of our failures, caked in dirt and grime and sin, somewhere in the dark, 
unable to see, unable to be rescued because we feel like we can't even call out for help. And even if we did have the capacity to yell, I'm over here, so many feel like it would be hypocrisy to even ask for help. We're reticent to do so because we know that chances are we'd probably end up right back in that dirt, right back in that sin, right back in that failure all over again. So how could we have the audacity to ask a God to come and rescue us if we're gonna find ourselves back in the same pit we started in? In the dirt, in the dark, without a voice. I wonder how many people are even watching right now that would say, Pastor Tim, that is exactly how I feel right now. I think that there's a lot of people that could resonate with that feeling. But if you're there today, can I ask you to consider something for just a moment? Just take yourself out of your own equation and just think about this for a moment. If this woman was so passionate about seeking her coin, there must have been something valuable about it. If it was not valuable, she would have surrendered it to the soil that it fell in and said, ah, no big deal, I'll just get another one. But there must have been something valuable about this coin or she would not have gone to the trouble to seek it out. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down as well. You never lose your worth in your wandering. Your value remains intact even when you feel like you're lost and buried and in the dark, you still retain your value. I have with me today a crisp new $100 bill. And uh, this bill has a value, does it not? Yes, yes, okay, yes. It's worth $100. And regardless of its condition, it is still worth $100. If I were to take this bill and crumple it up, put it in my pocket and six months later, pull these pants out and wear them again. And I find this bill, I could still unfold it and hand it over to somebody at the store because it's still worth a hundred dollars. While it was buried in my pocket, it was still worth a hundred dollars. It retained its value. I could take this same bill. I could crumple it up. I could stomp on it. I could, I could get the dirt and the grime of everywhere my shoes have been probably COVID down there. And, and even if it was infested with coronavirus, it's still worth $100. I could go to the beach, pardon me while I exhaust this analogy, and I could bury this thing in the sand. It could be under the dirt and the waves could come and crash and the seagulls could have their way with it. But if somebody were to locate this $100 bill on the beach and pick it up and rescue it, guess what? It's still worth exactly what it was worth the moment it was crisp and in its brand new condition doesn't matter how lost or how buried it is, it's still worth $100. And yet, so many of us believe that when we are lost and in the dark and we've made a series of bad decisions and we've given too much of ourselves away and we find ourselves buried under our sin and the weight of our shame, that somehow our value has been compromised. But listen to me, son or daughter, 
Your value is exactly the same whether you are crumpled and you are beaten down and you are buried in the dirt or you are standing on top of the highest mountain you've ever been on. You are still valuable. Your worth is still retained even in your wandering. Listen to me. You are worth far more than $100 to Jesus. You are precious in his sight. There is nobody like you. Your fingerprint cannot be uh, manipulated or changed. I mean, you are one of a kind. And Jesus says he's not willing that anybody would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. How much more are those who were a part of his family that have wandered off? Of course you still have value to him. Of course he still wants you back in the fold. And even if you think you've wandered off too far and you buried yourself too deep and the darkness is so heavy and thick around you, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, that even when we were utterly helpless, when we wanted nothing to do with Jesus, he still came down to this planet and he gave his life for each and every one of us. Even at your worst, he was still at his best and he came to seek, to save, and to rescue you. Your value remains intact and he will chase you down to get you back. And here's how he does it. The story goes on and it tells us that there are two ways that this woman chases down her coin. Two things she does. I mentioned them earlier. It says that she lights a lamp and she sweeps her house. Lights a lamp and she sweeps her house. Now, when we hear sweeps, our minds immediately go to modern day, right? We see a broom, we see a dustpan, and that's kind of the, the picture we have in our heads. But that's actually not at all what the scripture's talking about here. Uh, I mean, again, imagine a coin this small. If you were to sweep in a Palestinian home with a broom, what would happen? This coin would just get carried along with the broom and carried out the door potentially with all of the debris that you're trying to clear to find the coin. So, so you can't sweep it with a normal broom. In fact, the Greek word here, it assumes a completely different kind of posture and a, and a completely different kind of sweeping. Actually, what it's referring to is someone who would, who would get down on their hands and knees and they would begin to sift through and sweep through the dirt and the dust, letting it find its way through their fingers until they could locate what they were looking for. Not a broom, but someone who's intimately, closely involved in the debris, trying to find that which was lost. And both were necessary. Uh, this woman couldn't have just lit the lamp because a lamp does no good to a buried coin. The, the light cannot reach the coin because there's layers of sediment that still need to be removed. And so even though a lamp would have been lit, it still required the unearthing of the coin for the light to touch it. And the sweeping in and of itself is, is not going to work because as she sweeps the floor and finds the coin, perhaps she wouldn't see it because it still finds itself in the dark. She needed to both light the lamp and sweep the floor. Both light the lamp and get down into the ground and move the dust around so that she could find what she was looking for. John chapter eight, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me does not have to walk in darkness. Psalms chapter 40, David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. Even, even though I, I wasn't found right away and I was in a pit, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he made his way over to my pit 
And he got down into the mire and the clay and into the dirt. And he lifted me up and he set my feet upon a rock. Isaiah 53 says that we have all gone astray. We've all found ourselves buried in the dark and in the dust without a voice. But even though we went astray, Jesus came to this earth and he took upon himself all of our dirt, all of our grime, all of our sin. He let it get on him so that it didn't have to be on us so that we could be saved and restored to the Father. This is not a story about a woman and a coin. This is a story about a God who loved his creation so much that he could not stand it being lost in the dark and in the dirt and at a distance. And so he sent the light of Jesus Christ down to this dark place called earth. And Jesus walked this earth and every place he walked, illumination began to take place. Every place he walked, the light of his good news, the light of his presence began to call out all of those things that were in darkness. But even though he called them out, they couldn't quite figure out how to make their way to God. And so he got down on his hands and his knees and he began to sift through the dirt. He left heaven and he found himself in the very creation, the dirt that he made on this planet, sifting and trying to find each and every one of those lost coins so that he could unearth them from where they were at. But not only did he unearth them, he allowed the dirt of what they were facing to get upon himself so that that dirt would never once again touch the coins and the coins could remain free once and for all. This is a story about the good news. It's a story about the gospel that you serve a God that is not content to sit in heaven and say, I'll wait for you to make your way to me, but I will get down in the mess of what you're facing and I will rescue you and I will illuminate you and I will set you back where you belong. This is the gospel that, that Jesus would do whatever it took, even taking upon himself all of our failure, if it meant that you could be restored to the Father. That's the good news. But there's still one more aspect of this story that we have to talk about. After all, I did give this sermon a title, and that title makes literally no sense up until this point. Bride and go seek. Like, okay, you've talked about none of that. Well, let's fix that. I'm going to invite the band as we conclude with this thought. I've told you as we've studied these parables that there's a question Jesus is asking us to consider every time we look at one of these stories. The question is very simple. Who am I in this story? And yes, we were all that lost coin at some point. We were all that coin that found ourselves in the dirt, in the dust, in the dark, waiting for someone to come and save us. But I want us to consider perhaps that we're not just the coin in this story. And just as we did last week, that maybe there's another application of this text we need to consider. Theologians tell us that this was no ordinary coin the woman was searching for. Uh, this, this was a coin that, that held significant value to this woman. When a woman was married in these days, uh, she would have received a dowry. And that dowry would have had 10 silver coins and she would have worn that around her forehead as a headband or a headdress or whatever they would call it. And, and those 10 coins and the chain that connected them were an outward sign to the rest of the world that she was a bride. She was betrothed. It would be the modern day equivalent of a wedding ring that many of you wear. Although a wedding ring, I think the rule is that you're supposed to spend three months salary on the wedding ring or three years if you're Michael Scott. Um, 
But this was not an incredibly valuable piece of jewelry. Uh, one of these drachmas would have been worth roughly a day's wages. And so the whole, the whole spiel, the whole headdress, maybe 10, 12 days wages by the time you add in the weight of the chain. Not, not incredible monetary value. And, and if she had lost a single coin, she probably could have made it up on a Saturday, came in a little bit late, or excuse me, a little bit early and worked a little bit late and made up for the lost coin. Thus, it's not the monetary value of what's lost that compelled her to search. There was a deeper significance to it. This coin represented far more than money to her. It represented her identity. It's who she was. She was a bride. And you couldn't just go replace that coin that she received on her wedding day. Now, I need to find this this piece of jewelry that identifies me to the rest of the world as the bride. I have to go and seek. The bride goes and seeks. And in the same way, you would search for a wedding ring if you lost it. She passionately begins to seek for this lost coin. The bride seeks. The bride seeks. The bride seeks. So, so maybe this isn't just a story about a woman trying to find a coin, but maybe this is a story about a bride, the church of Jesus Christ, being so compelled, knowing that something is lost and it needs to be restored in order for her identity to be reinstated. Maybe it's about a bride that is so passionate about what's missing that she begins to search with every ounce of her passion to see what is lost, restored to a place of beauty, restored to the place that it belongs. Maybe in the same way that Jesus was the light that came to this planet, so the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to take the light of the gospel of Jesus and begin to walk into every dark place that exists in our cities, that exists in our families, that exists in our world. Not to stay back and live in the light and enjoy the light, but to chase down the darkness because we know that we bear the light itself on the inside of us. And as we find ourselves in these dark places, we don't tell people how sinful they are and how they need to change and how they need to work their way to get to Jesus, but we get right down into the mess of what they're facing and we allow a little bit of the dirt and a little bit of the grime and a little bit of the failure and a little bit of the shame to make its way onto us. If it means that we can find that coin and we can find that son and we can find that daughter and we can see them restored to the place that they belong. Just as, just as the bride is incomplete until every one of those, those coins is restored, this church is incomplete until every single one of those sons and daughters is back. Just as that bride can't stand in public and say proudly, this is who I am. This is who I'm created to be. We will never be what Jesus has, in, has made us to be until every single one of those who's lost is restored. We have to seek. We have to find. We cannot settle in our salvation and be comfortable that we're still here while 40% of our headdress is out there running around. 
We need to get down into the dirt and find some coins. In Jesus' name. So let me tell you how we're going to practically going to do this. How we're, excuse me, how we're practically going to do this. I need to compose myself. <laughs> it's one thing to say this needs to happen. It's another thing to put feet to it and get aggressive. We've been talking with our leadership team and strategizing behind the scenes. And I think we've got a pretty decent plan in place to ensure that every person that once was a part of our dowry is chased down and found. Right now, um, we've determined that there's roughly a thousand people in our database that are unaccounted for. There's many that are in groups and tuning in and we know where they're at, but there's about a thousand people that have walked into the doors of our church, filled out a card, said, hey, you can contact me. I'd love to be a part of this community that are currently MIA. We have no idea where they're at. And I'm not okay with that. And our team is not okay with that. Many of our church are not okay with that. So here's what we've done. We've commissioned a team of about 80 people. We've given each of them 12 of those names. We've said, your job is to find those coins. Your job is to chase down those sheep. We're gonna call those even if they're not calling us. We're gonna seek them even if they're not seeking Jesus right now. We're gonna run after them. And we're gonna start with a text and we're gonna check in hopefully turn that text message into a phone call. On that phone call, we're gonna ask three very simple questions. How can I pray for you right now? What are you facing? Are there any practical needs that you have that the church can meet? And how do we make sure that you remain connected from this point forward to the bride? Three simple things. And we're gonna get serious about it. It's not a one-time thing. If you're watching right now and you're at a distance, you're gonna get a text message this week. You're gonna get a phone call in the next week. People are gonna begin to reach out to you because we're not okay with you staying at a distance. We're gonna do whatever it takes to get you back. And I know that some people won't respond and some people won't call back and some people aren't interested in being found right now. But I also know that there's a lot of people that are in the dust, that are in the dark, and they feel like they don't have a voice and they are waiting for the bride to come and find them. And we're coming, we're coming, we're chasing you down. And we're gonna do whatever it takes to see you back in the house. Now. If you're not a part of that 80, that's okay. And uh, that doesn't mean you're off the hook. (laughs) You still got a job to do. This sermon isn't for 80 people in our church. If it was, I'd take them out to another meeting. We'd have a separate chat. This is for all of us. Chances are, you know some people that are in the dirt and in the dark and don't have a voice right now. And I want you this week to begin to pray about, ask the Holy Spirit, who, who in my world needs to be chased down right now? Who needs to be asked those three questions? How can I pray for you? Are there any practical needs I can meet? And how can I make sure you get connected to the church, connected to the bride, because that's where you need to be right now. And I believe as we do this, I believe as we take responsibility for those that God has entrusted to us, that we are gonna see the greatest homecoming we have ever seen in our two year history. And I know that's not a very long history, but I think that there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna come back to the house. So join us in doing that this week. I wanna conclude and I'm gonna pray for two groups of people. First and foremost, I wanna pray for every single person that is gonna be on the other end of that phone. It's gonna hear from someone on our team. I wanna pray that they would respond and they'd say yes to the invitation. And secondly, I I wanna pray for those that are watching today and you'd say, I am that coin. I'm I'm the one that's lost in the dirt and in the dark and I feel like I haven't been able to call out to Jesus. I wanna pray with you. I wanna give you an opportunity to be found today, to be back in the hands of the master and restored to the bride where you belong. Let's bow our heads in in this room and let's pray. Jesus, I thank you.
thank you for this strategy. I thank you that, I, that you've given it to our team and I believe it is from you. God, we, we, we're gonna do whatever it takes to chase down those that are far from you. We're gonna do whatever it takes to see those coins restored to the bride. And I pray right now for a grace to be on every single one of those calls. On the other end of the phone, when someone hasn't tuned in, they have been at a distance, maybe they've fallen back into a, an embarrassing lifestyle or sin pattern they don't even wanna talk about. I pray that there'd be so much grace, so much love on that call that they would hear the invitation of the Father bringing them back home. Lord, I ask that we would lose not one. Just as Jesus prayed to the Father before he departed from this planet, Lord, we pray, help us not to lose one in this season. Help us to be for every single one of them and to see him come back. And now for those that are, that are watching and listening, if you'd say, Pastor Tim, I, I, I am that person. I'm the one in the dirt and the dark and I feel like I haven't been able to call out to God. I'm gonna ask you to pray a very simple prayer with me. The words of the prayer don't matter. The condition of your heart matters far more. But I want you to make this decision to be found again because Jesus is seeking you out today. Say this in your heart. Say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for finding me. I know I've been at a distance and I've been in the dark, but I'm so grateful that your light and your love has found me where I'm at today. Forgive me of what I've done. Forgive me for being at a distance and restore me. Hold me close in this season. Help me to be your disciple and to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we thank God for every one of those that are praying that prayer? Love you. I love you and I'm so grateful that you made that decision today. I hear the Father's house, we are incredibly passionate about making sure that you take your next steps and that you start this journey strong. Uh, you'll see a little button that's popping up on the line, live stream that says raise hand. If you click that button, give us a little bit of information about yourself. One of our team members is gonna reach out to you this week and we're gonna tell you all about your next steps. First 40 groups, we're during the first 40 days of your journey with Jesus. Uh, you're gonna learn how to read the Bible and how to pray and what it looks like to be a part of community. And most importantly, you're gonna get, learn about your very next step, which is water baptism, as you saw Louis do today. Uh, but also we wanna get a Bible too. If you don't own a Bible or you need one, we will make sure that whatever it takes, we'll get a Bible to your doorstep this week. We just really wanna make sure you start strong. Uh, for the rest of you guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. We love you so much and we will see you next Sunday. Have a great afternoon. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.